0: Hey everyone, and welcome to the Kodakery. I'm Megan. And I'm Josh. Our guest this week is Nayib Estefan, a passionate film fan who turned his real love into action by creating the secret celluloid society. The SCS puts on unique, fun, filmic programming for the Miami Beach area. And if you're not in the Miami Beach area, lucky for you, the SCS has recently grown legs and travels. Listen in to hear how Naib and his team are able to expose more and more people to the experience of film on film. So, let's jump into the Kodakery and talk with Naib.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Kodakery. Today, Megan and I are coming to you from an undisclosed location deep beneath the surface of the earth. We're meeting with the gatekeeper, the mastermind behind a secret society of celluloid Usually,
0: lovers. Josh... We're just in the studio. Well, but um, <laughs> OK,
1: I, I might have gotten carried away. Um, we're here with Naib Estefan, who is the gatekeeper for real that's what his business card says of the Secret Celluloid Society. Naib, thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you for inviting me. I'm honored and excited to be here with both of you.
0: So Naib, tell our listeners, what is a secret celluloid society?
2: Let's see. Do you, do you want the real answer or do you want the fake answer? <laughs> uh,
0: Josh wants we'll, the fake we'll answer. We'll take a little of both. <laughs> it, does the fake answer
1: involve a secret Yes.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, my fake answer is basically, well, we're a cult um, of, of people who are cult film fans. And unashamedly I I say we are a cult because we really are Mm -hmm. and the real answer is uh, we're a cult of cult film fans (laughs) and uh, unashamedly uh, we are a cult Uh, so there you have both answers
1: excellent excellent is there a lot of chanting before the films
2: sometimes there's a lot of drinking that's for sure I mean we do uh, screenings where there's uh, alcohol usually, and uh, there is a lot of inebriated people around the midnight hour in Miami uh, every Saturday at midnight. Uh, I try to play to to that crowd as much as I can because it is midnight after all, you know.
1: Right, right. Mm -hmm. I was interested before, but now you've truly piqued my interest.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Miami Beach has always been a party town and, you know, Miami in general, and it seems to have translated to the revival film scene uh, luckily, cool. So we're excited about that.
1: So we know you're a cult, but tell yeah. our audience a little bit about like what is a screening of the Secret Celluloid Society? What is that experience like?
2: Well, basically, um, we're a group of people that put on screenings on 35 millimeter, and that can be complicated and expensive. So basically, what Secret Celluloid is is a support system to be able to continually screen films on film for people at an affordable price and uh and the trick is also to have screenings available consistently all the time. The way secret celluloid has worked is that we're kinda like a um a hermit crab that changes shells as we as we walk around town and we started at a drive-in and then we created a cinema uh, when i say we it's the royal we it's it's well i i started <laughs> i started this stuff and then people started to kind of join the group and help me out and i have a buddy Brian who's director of operations now who um handles a lot of the of the logistics and then crystal handles the theatrical part of it well, we can get into that in a little bit but there's a lot of theatrical stuff that happens and uh yeah we've we've moved from location to location and grown in uh in size uh as a group and as an audience as well so um we designed a theater in the back of gramps which is a popular uh location here for punk shows and rock and roll shows uh bingo all kinds of crazy you know counter uh events and fun things and uh, i designed a theater in the back of gramps which was called shirley's and at Shirley's, we did over 300 films, and it was um, kind of like the beginning of trying to play stuff in a theater, which usually doesn't get seen in a theater. And um,
1: give us some that, examples.
2: Well, believe it or not, at the time you couldn't see stuff like Holy Mountain or El Topo, Santa Sangre, Basket Case, um, you know, Forbidden Zone. Um, the stuff that kind of you hope to see in the theater, or at least I hope to see in the theater, and uh, then you don't really see that. I mean, I know New York and LA, and Chicago, they have burgeoning, you know, film scenes that you can see a choice of seven films on, you know, thirty-five millimeter at any point. But Miami, um, it's even though it's a multicultural place, like we didn't have a lot of that cool stuff until uh, fairly recently. So. It was things that usually don't get played, and then we were able to play them. And that kind of bubbled over into me getting my dream uh, job of programming Saturday midnights at a real theater, like a big one with 35mm capabilities. And then it kind of turned into this uh, art joke, which got completely out of control. And um, every screening got crazier and crazier, and we ended up doing events like... We did this thing called Up All Night for Halloween, which started at 11 p.m. and ended at 11 (laughs) a.m., and it had screenings of uh, Night of the Demons, where the uh, director, Kevin Tenney, brought his personal print, which Mm. is, I think, the only print, uh, and he brought that, and we watched it with him, and he talked a little bit about it. But most importantly, he just kind of hung out with everyone and had some drinks and and, Then we played Eraserhead, and we played um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Eraserhead was at like 4 in the morning, and Texas Chainsaw (laughs) was at like 7 AM. Oh, and we started it with The Thing. Uh, It was the first time. Yeah, it's it's a good one.
1: One of my all-time favorites.
2: Oh man, and it's the first time they had played the thing in 35 in Miami, I think, since its release, so wow. it kind of started to be this, this thing where it's like, how how crazy can we make this, you know, and every screening was kind of like raising the bar, you know?
0: Yeah. We we ask a lot of our guests where they get their films from, so if somebody is a programmer, but I feel like we never really get to the bottom of it. like you make a call and you say, hi, I'd like to rent this 35 millimeter print. Um, Can I come pick it up? Do they deliver it to you? How much do you pay for it? Do you have to keep it in specific conditions? What is the deal?
2: Well... My day job, my, my Clark Kent job is a film archivist. I work uh, here in Miami as a 35mm, 70 16 millimeter 16mm film archivist. So I have a history of being gentle with film and I work with it, I clean it, I get nasty vinegar prints coming across my table all the time. I've you know, seen the best of prints, I've seen the worst of prints. So I feel like I have a, a knowledge of, of how to deal with it. I think at first especially now since there's very few uh, prints out there, they're kind of hesitant to work with anyone uh, right off the bat unless there's some kind of, you know, credibility or, you Mm -hmm. know, history. If you have a history of not, basically of not destroying stuff or not being, you know, rude or, you know, returning stuff on time. And so I think once you kind of have those relationships with people they start to trust you a little bit more and they start to give you access to more of their rare stuff because they know that you're going to take care of it um i think there's two sides of it right now or before they were trying to shift away from doing 35 screenings in general because they'd rather ship you a hard drive but um i think they realized that they're a lot of fun, and the prints are sitting there, so I think if they feel comfortable with the people who are screening them, you know they will give you some of their good stuff mm-hmm. so I've developed relationships with a lot of the studios and archive uh, there's a lot of archives that have really cool stuff, and before also, they didn't really want to work a lot with collectors or archive prints like they'd only want you to to show their print from the studio, but they're being a bit more lenient now in terms of allowing you to play stuff from reputable archives. So I think it all has to do with the dialogue. I used to work as an A and R for for um, Sony music and I dealt with a lot of artists and stuff like that and I think it's like basically just um uh, not being rude and, and uh you know, treating the prince how they need to be treated and returning them on time and once you get that relationship going then, you know, they open more doors to you and you know uh, allow you to be with some of their trusted prints like believe it or not there's only one print of Back to the Future 2 and um oh. it's in the universal vault and that was one of the ones that I was like man I really want to play Back to the Future 2 and nobody had a print or another one is like Suspiria you know the film Suspiria Oh yeah yeah it's one of my favorites and I was on this this mission to try to make Suspiria happen and the studio that controls Suspiria They don't let you play Blu-rays, which we wouldn't want to anyway, but they don't have a DCP, and there are no prints. So it would get into this thing of, like, well, how do we play it? And they'd be like, "Uh, well, you can't play a Blu-ray. And I was like, okay, do you have a print? And they're like, we don't have a print. And it's like, okay, do you have a DCP? And they're like, we don't have a DCP. And it's like, well, how do we play the film? And they're like, I'm sorry, you know. And so some of that stuff has happened where... You know, I found like the one guy with the Suspiria print, and he entrusted us to to play it, and it was uh, pretty insane. So, there's a lot of different ways to get prints. To answer your question, did, but did most you of it,
1: get the Back to the Future print?
2: I did, and we screened it, and it was really intense. And um, you know, one of my favorite screenings. It was Back to the Future two. It's the second right. one, yeah. the yeah.
1: best of the three, as far as I'm concerned.
2: <laughs> You're not a fan of Part Three, I take it.
1: I like Part Three. But I think the end of Back to the Future 2 is one of the best endings in cinema history. Like, the whole thing with the lightning strike and all that stuff, amazing. Like, when I first saw it, blew me away. At a drive-in, by the way.
2: Oh, wow. Nice. Yep. That's,
1: that's the way to see sorry, it. Sorry, sorry, I've, I've gone off.
0: <laughs> that's cool, though. I think they're smart to be careful with who they, they hand
2: it out you to. You have to, yeah. of course.
0: I mean, why are they not just making more film prints?
2: Well, I guess since this is the Kodak podcast, this is the place to get into it, but, you know, as you know, um, there's a certain convenience to shipping people films on hard drives, and there's also a certain cost efficiency uh, where you're literally just shipping a, a little hard drive to someone. and doing film not only is complicated and, you know, a lot of moving parts, but it's very expensive, especially shipping. Uh, 70mm as well is insanely expensive to ship around. I mean, you're basically shipping around pallets of huge steel boxes full of very heavy film. So uh, I think one of the first reasons that they don't do film as much is because it's expensive. One of the second reasons is because um, there's not many 35-millimeter projectors installed, and that comes from, you know, uh, switching over from 35 to digital, which a lot of people were forced to do. I guess we're in a safe space here in the Kodak podcast. We can talk about certain topics. We are indeed. (laughs) um,
0: It makes sense. Yeah, there's no demand for
2: it. I mean people dig it but I there mean, was
0: it's a growing demand yeah. now I guess yeah
2: there was uh, unfortunately when Avatar came out it was kind of like a pivotal moment where theaters were forced to transition to digital if they wanted to continue to receive films new films and when I say films I say it lightly because I mean hard drives you know but if you wanted to play the new movies that were coming out you had to switch over to digital and that was the death of a lot of mom and pop cinemas, which had invested all this money to get their systems up for 35 millimeter, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh hey, by the way, you got to buy a big computer now with a lens on it, and it's really expensive. And some people did kickstarters, some people did uh, different fundraising uh, things to raise funds to transition to digital. Some weren't able to pull it off,
0: yeah.
2: you know, and so
0: in addition to them not wanting to make prints and not being a lot around also you need a skilled projectionist as well
2: that is true and then
0: what has your experience been like how many projectionists are there out there is there and hopefully is there a new generation that you are seeing people taking an interest in just as they are to see it, to take an interest in watching them
2: okay well i believe we're at a big transition point right now because I can tell you that I can count on one hand the amount of film projectionists in Miami and surrounding areas, and a couple of them are retired. You know, one gentleman was taken away to a hospital after he fainted during a show because he's older in age, so it's it's a bit rock and roll right now where, you know, you got the old dusty wizards that have the knowledge and either want to do a show or don't want to do a show, and then you have a new generation that would love to learn, and there's no way to learn. Um, there's no apprenticeship for this. There's no school for this. So it's difficult to kind of learn these things. And the way to learn these things is by projecting and by running a bunch of shows. And, you know, there isn't really the ability to run a bunch of shows. And now what we're seeing is that the people who are projecting have to be, like, really trusted because they're projecting really rare prints and uh, archival stuff. So we're at a crossroads right now where... I'm hoping that there can be a new generation of projectionists and we're working on some stuff to try to do like some boot camps and stuff like that to train people. Nice. But the best way to learn is to continuously project and yeah. um, it's a very uh, boutique industry right now. Hopefully, I mean, I know about some things that are happening that hopefully might change everything a little bit, you know, but um, it's it's like the vinyl thing, it's like the cassette thing when i worked at sony there was like one dude that was really good at cutting to vinyl and mastering to vinyl and you would go see this guy and you'd sit there and he'd master the the song and he'd cut it to vinyl and he was up there in age but i mean this knowledge has to be passed down or we'll lose it right. unfortunately you we, know
1: we had the fortunate experience uh, last summer we went to the amia projectionist workshop that was hosted at the alamo draft house in austin oh cool and we were shocked because like the audience that was there to learn they were it's a very diverse crowd, very young crowd, and uh they were really excited to learn and I know that they're going to do that again. so anybody out there listening, check yeah. the EMEA website. There's definitely resources, and there's people out there trying to to pass on this knowledge that is so important
2: yeah, it's crucial mm-hmm.
1: so so let's swing it back around to your to your to the secret satellite. you had mentioned theatrics earlier. I'm oh yeah, int- I'm intrigued. Tell me more.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, since SCS is basically like a like a Devo thing, it's like an art joke that got completely out of control. We are we are habitual line steppers, and we love to push the limits and test how much we can get away with, and that has led us to a lot of interesting screenings, mostly for the crowd who didn't know it was coming. But you know, I love you know william castle i love all that old ballyhoo and excitement of people being in the same room at the same time experiencing something together i think it's the opposite of this kind of netflix age that we're in where you're at home and it's quiet and you know nobody's bothering you like we do rocky horror a lot and we really have like a a really insane cast that I could say is, like, really subversive and, you know. So, theatrically, we've done a lot of stuff. Like, I'll give you an example of some of the stuff that we did before that I'll never do again. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> so, we played Ghostbusters. I found, like, a uh, vault print of Ghostbusters, and I was really excited about that. And Miami's, like, very much like a nightclub city, and there's all these clubs that are, like, 24 hours and all this stuff. And I and I was like, man, you know, they do this thing in the clubs where... Um, they hit people with liquid nitrogen smoke. Have you ever seen that done before? No. It's like that icy, the icy smoke.
0: Like, like a fog machine.
2: It's it's really beyond a fog machine. Okay. It's kind of like what you would see on like a like a theme park ride or something. Okay, All right. When like something explodes, you know, and it like. Oh, okay. Gives you that really cold blast. They they use it really ridiculously here in the nightclubs. Like people will be dancing and they'll be spray like you know, putting the cold blast all night. And I was like, okay. man, you know what? We're in Miami. We're doing Ghostbusters. I wonder if I can hit up this company and get them to work with us on something really fun. So, here's what went down. The crowd came in. It was sold out. And they walked in. And I, I always give this kind of like speech. We have jumpsuits and we have like this whole. Stick that we do, that's it's gotten crazier and crazier. But bottom line is, I came out and I was like you know, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Is there anyone in the crowd who doesn't like surprises? And uh, there's this one little kid that raised his hand. And I was like, oh, too lo- too bad, kid. You know, like, <laughs> your parents have to decide. And then I go, well, ladies and gentlemen, don't be startled. We're going to be testing some movie magic tonight, you know, and it's just special effects. Don't be afraid. And if anybody wants a refund, we can refund your ticket. Now everyone laughed or whatever. And then at the final scene of the movie where the Stay puff Marshmallow Man explodes, uh, we did the liquid nitrogen and nice. filled filled the whole theater with you know cold white smoke and awesome it was really fun i've done other things where like we've had costumes or we've had shadow cast or you know we played the fly and i jumped out dressed like the fly and ran through the crowd and <laughs> <laughs> tell,
1: tell us about Waterworld.
2: Oh, man. Waterworld was nuts. We played Waterworld in the middle of the ocean, and uh, it was part of this film festival called the Borscht Film Festival, which this year was really big for us with Borscht, because we did two two things that were, we were afraid of doing, and we did. Um, one of them was Waterworld in the middle of the ocean, where you had to get there using um, jet skis or kayaks or um, boats, and it was late at night and a lot of people did it and i was really shocked that they did it and they they were kayaking out at like eleven o'clock at night with these lanterns in the biscayne bay and we played it off of a barge there was a, a barge with a giant screen and people were watching from the island and there was a band that played the jacuzzi boys which is a band from miami that's pretty popular and we had like crazy virtual reality experiences with like oculus like my buddy michael arcos did this thing where they take you into this tent and they put the the oculus on you and then they like tie your hands up and they walk you down this path with a blindfold with the oculus on and you end up in a tent and it's like you're in some place where, like, there's like a dead body, you know, behind you, and it's these weird, like, they put you in a chair and they spun you around, and then I think they threw like a hostess Twinkie in your face at the <laughs> what? end. When they throw like a body part on you in in the Oculus, it was it was ridiculous. It was really insane. And then the second thing that we did that we were really nervous about doing is for the first time we did portable 35 millimeter, which we've. We've developed portable 35-millimeter projectors now, which were modified from 220 electric to uh, 110, so they can plug in, like, a hairdryer anywhere in any outlet, and they can convert any space into a 35-millimeter theater. So we're really excited about that. And so we premiered the projectors with a screening of Pootie Tang (laughs) in uh, a really nice... Theater in a hotel designed by Baz Luhrmann, which I guarantee you he didn't intend for his theater to be used to show *Pootie Tang*. <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: so, how how big is the portable projector?
2: Well, I guess if you want to talk like gear gear terms, it's like the size of like a like if you know like what a guitar amp looks like. It's like a like a half stack, mm-hmm. like like 12 inch speakers. You know, it's um, I would say not not too big, but uh, well, I actually took it for its first cross-country show um, to Los Angeles where I did some projecting for Kodak for uh, a party and we played a film off of 35 Poolside and it was really cool because like Chris Cunningham was there which is like one of my heroes and I'm here like sweating projecting uh, <laughs> on 35 by the pool and like one of the dudes from Kodak was, like, looking at me putting oil in the projector. He's like, what are you doing? (laughs) Putting oil in the projector, it needs oil. Because it's analog, you know, it's like a a a 54 Bel Air, you know? Mm -hmm. Yep.
0: That's awesome. Everybody was probably looking at you, like, thinking you were the... The man. Right. You're the
2: wizard. Yeah. I don't know about that. I know that they were putting drinks on my projector. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. That's it is Hollywood after all. No, but people were pretty, like, shocked. People were, like, kind of more, like, confused. But it was a Kodak party, so it, it looked kind of like a, like a prop. <laughs> like, I right. think people right. thought, oh, it's an old projector. Oh, look at look. That. <laughs> and then we fired it up, and they were like, whoa, wait, this thing is actually projecting. And it was like, Brrr. it was, like, you know, awesome. humming. It was really fun. And I was like, well, it made it from Miami to Los Angeles, so.
0: What's next?
2: Right. Well, next we're going to do a summer tour down here in Miami. We're going to do a different place every Saturday. And uh, we're used to doing like a year and a half residencies in places where we just get to the point where it's so insane that the, the theaters are just like, okay. All right, all right. We had a great time. Thank you. You know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> then you we shed your
1: shell, walk down the beach, and look for a new uh, a new place
0: to, to yeah shack up.
2: That's what it is. And and now uh, with these portables, it's just like gotten to this point where anything is possible. And we're really excited. And we combine everything with the theatrical side of it. And. You know, like we just did Rocky Horror. The thing to think about here is that when we started, we started at this drive-in, which serviced like, you know, 20 cars or whatever, and then we ended up at Shirley's, which we would have two shows a night that would be sold out, so we'd have like, uh, you know, 100 people each show or whatever. And then we ended up at the coral gables art cinema where we created this series called after hours um they had never had a a midnight series there and no one was doing late night 35 stuff here so we created this series it's called after hours and it's 141 seats but we you know there'd be extra seats and stuff so we'd probably average around like 170 180 and it was a bummer because we'd have to turn away like 70 80 people every saturday and you know we ended up moving to O Cinema Miami Beach that has 305 seats and we've been you know selling out that place packing that place in for everything from you know Rocky Horror to Pieces to Blade Runner to you know Holy Mountain and it's been really like the beach has been our best shows ever they've really been on another level of insanity and like 300 people and these insane pre-shows that we we make. I I make these pre-shows that last half hour, and I make them on VHS, and I run them through. My uh, my buddy makes me these circuit-bent video hardware where I run the VCRs through them, and I make these crazy mixtapes, and I actually just finished combining most of the really good ones from the beach run into an eight-hour VHS tape that we're going to have available.
0: That's awesome.
2: At the shows. (laughs) Eight hours of brain rot. Uh... (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> cool. Well, it's really exciting because you're going to be able to bring that experience to more people because you're yeah. making it so accessible. I think it's going to be a really great thing. Thank
2: Absolutely. you. We're really excited. Yeah.
1: So so what's what's your what's your dream show you're going to do this summer? What can people look forward to and where can they where can they follow you guys?
2: Well, I can't reveal any titles. They can follow us on secretcelluloidsociety.com. Um I can tell you this. I can tell you that um it's going to get uncomfortable. We're going to make people be uh, closer to each other in ways that they didn't expect, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. more tight experiences, which kind of mirror the ones that we used to do at Shirley's. Shirley's was the name of the theater that we built in Gramps, which is designed after the Black Lodge in Twin Peaks. Oh,
0: wow.
2: It has uh, red velvet curtains and the zigzaggy awesome. floor and the whole thing. And we actually, yeah, we played firewalk with me this year cool. on 35 and... It's amazing to be able to not only watch some of the stuff that I grew up seeing in the cinema and be able to pass that on to a new generation, uh, stuff like Pink Flamingos and stuff like that, but also things that I never got a chance to see in the theater because we only got a chance to see them on VHS growing up. You know, so, uh, yeah, the summer shows are going to be a little bit more in your face and more um, intimate, which is, I think, have been the best... SDS shows until we did the big room stuff. The big room stuff is kind of like going to see Kiss Alive. It's like the you know, the fire and the, and the explosions and the drunk people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> cool. So people can visit your website. Do you guys have, are you like on social media as well?
2: We're on social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook, which is probably the best way to, to follow what we're up to um, okay. since we're always announcing surprise stuff and kind of secret stuff too. And if you join the mailing list, you'll probably receive some information that the public won't see. So go to SecretCelluloidSociety.com and you know follow us and see what we're up to. Awesome. And w- once you come to a show, then you're one of the society, so we've grown to be a pretty large band of misfits. <laughs> nice.
1: Well, I, I even though Megan and I haven't been to one yet, I would like to think we're honorary members now. You're already, <laughs> you're already
2: <laughs> confirmed. You're going to be getting your jumpsuits in the mail.
1: Yes! Um... <laughs> it's uh it's been so great to talk with you and you're you're doing it's a noble cause bringing uh, cellulite to the masses so thank you for everything you're doing and uh we look forward to catching up with one of these screenings somewhere along the way
2: hopefully in your neck of the woods yeah you bet all right
0: thank you so much Thank
2: thank you so much for having me on
0: it is a great satisfaction to be able to speak to you through the medium of this wonderful invention